0: Hey guys, thanks for joining me for this 25th episode in Season 2 of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. Special guests on this episode include Jeb Mack from the Jeb Mack Band. We'll be talking about their latest music and upcoming performances. We'll also speak with Olympian Mark Spitz about the Holocaust Education Film Institute. We'll also visit with my good friend and host of Coffee Country and Cody on WSM Radio, as well as the Grand Old Opry, Bill Cody. Of course, if you would, please take the time to subscribe, drop a like, comment, leave some feedback, and of course, share with your friends. Well, can the pandemic fight crime? Well, there's a guy in West Sussex in the UK who was wanted by police. Not sure why he was wanted, but he turned himself in earlier this week because according to the police, he told them, quote, he would rather go back to prison than have to spend more time with the people he was living with. Now he chose prison and, quote, peace and quiet over spending more time locked down with his roommates. And uh, I'm not sure that may be worse of a sign about his roommates than himself. Well, our first guest on today's episode is Jeb Mack from the Jeb Mack Band. Uh, well, I, I, you're kind of a shoe in for that, but uh, first off, Jeb, thanks so much for uh, thanks for reaching out. First off, brother.
1: Man, thanks for having me. I really do appreciate you having me on.
0: Now, now tell us a little bit about uh, about Jeb. Where did where did music? Uh, how how did that ever even come on the horizon for you in the first place?
1: Music. Um, I got started like a lot of musicians or singers in church um especially in country now it seems like everybody just about <laughs> almost started in church or you know some kind of church format but i grew up in the church um singing i never was really i was into sports i played basketball and uh, baseball and football and played one year of basketball in college so really it, singing and stuff took a, a backseat to all that until you know, after my freshman year of college I forgot when I got to college That you actually had to go to class <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so that, you know That spiraled out of control for a little bit there But, but, um uh, After that, man, I, I started in I really always had a love for a great song Um, I started in hip-hop uh, Oh, really? Yeah, so, so this was, you know Um, I was probably 19 Uh, I just I like to sit down and write songs. And most of it was hip hop songs because that's what I listened to, you know, in my teenage years. Um, And as that developed, I got into this band, uh, Justin Smith and the Folk Hop Band out of Columbia, South Carolina. And we got the tour and open up for like uh, Collective Soul, everybody from Collective Soul to Nap Your Roots to- there you go. (laughs) We went on tour tour with Snoop Dogg. So we went on like a four city Carolina tour uh, with Snoop Dogg which was really cool and after that you know I, I didn't pick the guitar up till I was like 29 my wife actually bought me my first guitar um, but I, it, like I said it was all about all about the song so I was I would sit down in front of YouTube and I never really had a lesson I just sit down in front of YouTube and just kind of teach myself how to play and it just kind of grew from there and one band member started after the other. I started as an acoustic duo, and then we added a percussionist and a bassist, and then we got to the point where we added horns. So what we try to do now is, is bring in really like a, a funk type to to country music. So we like to call it country funk.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Now, now Jeb, the, the 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 genre is is ripe for other types and and bringing in a little bit of new forms of music and how cool do you think it is to be a part of a of a genre that is so uh welcoming if you will
1: yeah now more than ever man it's it's very uh it's very eclectic like there's all kind of you have pop country you have your uh country slash kind of hip-hop you you know you have a little bit everything but yeah, um, yeah, for us, man, I just I want to do something a little different um, You can kind of hear the, the hip-hop elements In some of our music But also bring in those, those horns, man But yeah, it, being country music right now Is is crazy, just The amount of new artists And, and TikTok's opened so many doors You know, for, for social media in general Not just TikTok, <laughs> but has opened so many doors For some of these new musicians to come in
0: and, and how important is the social media And how much of a struggle is that for you?
1: Um you know i do everything by my, by myself so i don't really have like a a, a marketing manager or <laughs> PR team you know but so it's, it's super important for me man um at every show you know you want to plug that as much as possible because you want people to keep up with you and, and come back and know when you're playing again and and fortunately in in carolina it, it, it's been it, the shows have We've been busy. <laughs> I know a lot of places have shut it down, you know, this year. But uh, South Carolina, North Carolina—well, not really North Carolina, but South Carolina's opened back up, and, and we're playing every weekend.
0: Now, now, who have been the biggest country music influences on you? You, you know, switching over genres and all that stuff. Who's who's kind of been there to to, to maybe lead the way for you a little bit?
1: Um. For me, man, it, it's always I tell people that when, when I try to describe our music, I say it's kind of Zach Brown banish, but with horns. So uh, he he's been a, he was a big you know that their whole the harmonies you know and everything they do they have the the violin they have Jimmy D on the on the violin but um, you know we kind of have that like a like a horn section you know we, but uh, Zach Brown band, that had to be you know of course Eric Church. Uh, some of your more you know traditional guys that have been been doing it for some time, uh, Stapleton, you know, comes to mind. He's a one of a kind voice, though. Nobody can imitate that.
0: <laughs> no, nobody can imitate that. That that's for sure. Now, now Jeb, the 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 switching of format. How how much different is the songwriting process for you?
1: Um, it, it's 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 not it's not uh you can you can throw the horns in anyway anywhere, anywhere really um, so you write the best song possible or I try to write the best song possible in every every writing session um, and then if the horns fit with the song then we, we plug them in but if they don't we, you know you don't have to have them you know we don't want we want the best for the song you know
0: now, uh, what you talked about being able to play the shows, did uh, did 2020, did it make it a little more difficult to get together for rights, or did you do more Zoom stuff? Uh, did, did you have to get technologically savvy, if you will?
1: <laughs> yeah, so before, like pre-COVID or whatever, I was uh, back and forth to Nashville, man, probably every month to month and a half for a long weekend just to to do writes. so yeah you know i skyped a good bit um with some friends you know out there but you know yeah that, that's definitely a setback the it's nothing like sitting in the room with somebody and you know the vibe that you get when you write you know you can't really get that from from a zoom call you know which, I mean, I do appreciate Zoom. It's done a lot for people, you know. We can stay connected, like we're doing now, you know. But, uh, yeah, for a right man, I'd much rather, you know, be be in person if, if I could.
0: I remember when I started the podcast back in August, I had somebody, I think it was the first week, and somebody offered a Zoom interview to me, and I was like, I don't want a Zoom interview. I was like, no, who wants a Zoom interview? And then after I did one, and you get to see somebody's face, whether you use video or not, Zoom is cool just because you can see somebody's reaction. You know, I can see yeah. whenever whenever I ask a flop of a question, I can see the eye roll. So then I know, wow. then then I know where I'm at. You know.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're good. No eye rolls yet. <laughs> yeah,
0: I know, right? Now, uh, how much has the the uh, the, the sports the athlete part of your uh, of your upbringing how much has that affected the drive that you've got and and especially in the times like 2020 where other than carolinas everybody was kind of kind of shut down for a bit
1: yeah yeah we were shut down too for, for last summer right but, right right you know since this kind of the cases have kind of dropped that we've they've kind of opened back up but uh uh, can you read that question again? <laughs> how,
0: how much, how much being an athlete and and preparing even in the off season? How how did that prepare you uh, for yeah, you this last it's, year?
1: It's about commitment, man. How much you put into it, and that works. You know, in sport, that works in life in general. You know, that's why. You know, I have kids now, and I want them being involved in some kind of sport because I feel like it. It it'll drive you to 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 be stay committed. You know what I mean.
0: Now now tell us about uh, the the latest music that you've got out and uh, I was actually checking out uh, the website and and uh, your latest video as well and tell tell our listeners a little bit about uh, about your latest music as well.
1: So um, well, our latest single is called Everybody Wants to Dance. I wrote that song with Bridget Tatum um, in Nashville at her at her house over there and we were sitting down and we were talking about Early in the show, this was pre-COVID. Um, early in the early in the show at, at night, how people it takes it takes some drinks for them to get loose and get on the dance floor. <laughs> but at the end of the night, everybody wants to dance, and so we kind of went about that. And uh, we I shot a little video for it, but most of it it was during the co- you know Corona. But most of it was just uh, clips of people dancing to songs that they sent in to me. And we just kind of did a collage like that.
0: That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Bridget was she's the biggest flop of a welcome that I ever had in my life. I don't think I, I think I told you that I met. She was the first person that I ever met on my first trip to Nashville uh, for a CMA fest like seven years ago. And uh, a friend was letting me have the, their place, their condo for the the while, and they left their key with Bridget. They said, "Well, here's Bridget's number, just." Call her and she'll meet you there Well, I get there and I'm like, hey, so uh so What What do you do? How, how long have you been here? You know, and she's like, oh, I'm a songwriter And a singer and all this, and I was like, really? Anything I've ever heard of? And then she starts Naming them off and I'm just like, oh yeah, and so I text my buddy. I'm like, "Dude, you could have at least given me a little bit of a heads up."
1: was yeah. <laughs> cool, though. I'm sure she didn't mind. Yeah,
0: she was cool. I, I was nervous the whole next day, but then we caught up again and uh, and had a great time watching the, uh, the the CMT awards the next night. So it was like, it was all good, and and we're still friends to this day in spite of it.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: good people. <laughs> now, what what's it like to write with Bridget?
1: Um, man, it was comfortable, man. She's, she's cool. Like, she's actually, I live in Florence, South Carolina, and she is from Florence, South Carolina. So, I walked in after I found that out, and I, I was like, really? I had to come all the way to Nashville to ride with you? <laughs> and she was like, yeah, boy, you got to come back to Nashville. So, uh, we just sat down at the table, the kitchen table, man, and super comfortable. I mean, most of the time, you know, there's good people all throughout the city. Uh, you can sit down, and it's, it's comfortable, it's easy, and you just, you talk it out, and you most of the time come up with a song and well, an idea sparks a song and what, you know, there's no right or wrong way to do it.
0: Now, I know, I know you got your acoustic with you today.
1: Uh, yeah, I do. I have it sitting over
0: here. You you, you want to play something for us?
1: Yeah, man, we can do it. I,
0: I, I don't know what you want to play or uh, I'll even let you maybe give it a little introduction into it.
1: All right. Hold on. Let me grab it. All right. So, um, can you hear that? Can you hear that okay?
0: Sounds great. Sounds great. Um,
1: so, uh, I wrote this song. I had this idea. A guy and a girl. I mean, how many country songs start off with a guy and a girl? You
2: know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so, a guy and a girl, and the girl thinks the guy's running around on her. And she's searching his wallet, searching through his phone for text messages. And she wants proof that he is running around on her but really the guy you know he's he's a good guy and he's not running around on her he's just running to the bar to drink some 90 proof or to try to find some 90 proof so um quite naturally we decided to write a song called proof <laughs> but uh, here it goes here it goes
3: She checks my phone every chance she gets But she ain't found nothing in my messages She's checking my pockets and searching my wallet She's damn near losing her mind, losing her mind Pacing up and down the floorboard, wearing out the shine Staring out the window and cussing at the time There's no one to blame, I swear I can claim There ain't another woman to find, to find She needs proof I need it too It's either gonna burn or it'll go down smooth But the taste on my tongue Don't want no one else Just like love, I can't get enough My secret's staring down at me from the top shelf While I'm reaching for the bottle She's searching for the truth We both need proof Now when she finds out, she's either gonna be a little ticked off or a little relieved. If it's on or it's over, just know that I won't be sober for the aftermath. Aftermath, yeah, she can yell or scream or cry. I can't change and Lord knows I've tried. I ain't no cheater, just know there ain't nothing sweeter than whiskey in my glass. In my glass, but she needs proof. It's either gonna burn or it'll go down smooth But the taste on my tongue don't want no one else Just like love, I can't get enough My secret's staring down at me from the top shelf While I'm reaching for the bottle She's searching for the truth We both need proof Either gonna burn or it'll go down smooth. But the taste on my tongue don't want no one else. Well, just like love, I can't get enough. My secret's staring down at me from the top shelf. But while I'm reaching for the bottle, she's searching for the truth. It's either gonna both
0: that is some proof right there Jeb <laughs> back and uh now, now jeb tell us uh what how has the writing process been this last year for you has it been has it been maybe has it gone darker a little bit or maybe has it have you maybe pushed to be a little bit more positive with uh with the message
1: i think uh i think you push to be positive uh because you, you know you, you want other people to be positive too you know uh but I just feel like, uh, for me, it's the same as it normally is. Like, you write depending on how you feel, you know? Like, if you've had a had a broken heart, you know, you write, you write, you want to share your message, you know? Or if you, you want to go throw it up at a bar somewhere, you know, you, you write a party song. So I think it's just at that point um, how you feel. I mean, there's been sad songs, but there have been positive songs too, you know?
0: Now what? Uh, how do you prescribe uh, as far as your writing? Do you do you sit down and, and sit down and write every day? Do you just do like uh, writing sessions? How how do you schedule your your personal writing?
1: Um, well, you know, having an iPhone makes it easier because you can hum <laughs> the you can, have, you can hum the melodies now. You can uh, you can write your, your song titles, your 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 lines, your one or two Z's in there, and and see. I like to get a good idea with a couple of lines and take that into a songwriting session. And I try to write, you know, once or twice a week if I can, you know, um, but normally having those ideas always helps to move move forward with the song in in the writing process. Yeah.
0: Now in the writing process for you, what is what's the first thing that comes to you? Is it is it the is it the lyric? Is it the 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 hook? Is it maybe a melody is, it, is it different every time?
1: yeah it is it's different every time man um like i said there's no right or wrong way to do it um for me anyway um you know just sitting down and uh, finding you know what flows best i mean i have the hip-hop background if i can get a chanty chorus or a you know pacing up and down the floor whatever <laughs> not to shine you know what i mean like something like that and you know it, it just it helps the whole process
0: now, the, the, the prep work, before you get ready to go on stage, previously hip-hop, now country. How how different is your uh, emotional state coming on stage?
1: Oh, dude, we play everything. So we're playing, uh, our band, our band's like seven or eight people, you know, depending on the night, how many horns we have or whatever. But uh, we play everything, we play our originals, of course, but we play everything from Johnny Cash. To Eminem, so and everything in between. Bruno, so we play the whole spectrum. Um, we try to cover everything, you know. People, people want variety now, you know.
0: So you you throw down a little uptown funk. Is that is that where we're going with that?
1: Oh, man, we do 24 karat uptown funk, perm, all those Bruno songs.
0: Now, now, how do you how do you bring and meld all of the different genres together? I mean, uh, do you go from Johnny Cash to Eminem? Is uh, you, you go from Ring of Fire to Lose Yourself?
1: So, so from both prison to lose yourself. <laughs> um, You know, we normally we start off in the night and we play more country in the beginning of the night and then we kind of shift. Um, it, it just depends, man. Like uh, it just depends on the song, the mood, the crowd. Uh, if the crowd's ready to dance, we may not play as much, you know, slower stuff as we normally do, you know, so it just it all depends
0: how hard was it to keep your emotions uh, in check the first night getting back on stage after, after COVID, after uh, the, the, the that you had?
1: Oh, dude, we, so, so with the band, so we were playing, uh, let me just set this guitar down. We were playing um, like acoustic at, at some places that were socially distanced. You had to sit down kind of like how Nashville is now mm-hmm. uh, you had to sit, you know, you can listen to music, but, uh, we did that all last summer and it was like they wouldn't let any more than three of us all go up so we do two or three and then I think our last gig was like early March maybe or mid I don't really remember it was all kind of a blur <laughs> I, I want to forget it you know so uh, and then I think we played again as a band at a private event um at a private party like all in September, maybe. I mean, it, it was still this cases. I mean, it was still, you know, we were kind of, yeah, it was definitely September. We played uh, in September and then uh, it wasn't a private event. It was a public event. And then I got COVID. <laughs> <from it. laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, man, it was, it was a fun night just to be back with the guys and girl, you know, and uh, and to play for people.
0: Now tell us about uh, about the group. Tell us about uh, the instrumentalists you got.
1: So um, Nelson James is our band leader and drummer. Um, he's been a band director. He's done music all his life, man. He's great. Um, he was texting me this morning about ideas. Um, we play uh, Luke Combs's uh, "Beard Never Broke My Heart." Mm-hmm. He was saying, "Man, we should play. Uh, we should go out of that in the Fishing in the Dark.' You know, that's all <laughs> dropped down. It's all dropped down on the guitar." We're like, "I'm like, wait a minute, now hold on." And so I mean he's always taking ideas to to the group. Uh, we have Barry Carmichael on bass, uh, really great bassist, man. I'm really blessed to have um, really good musicians with with the band. Uh, Jeff Springs on lead guitar. He also teaches guitar lessons, so I mean he's he's been doing it for a minute. We have Emma Hamilton on keyboards, and she sings too, so it's great to have somebody there um, that can sing some of the you know the girl parts mm-hmm. and. Uh, and to give you give me a breather <laughs> especially when you're doing m&m you know yeah i know right <laughs> uh, let's see who am i missing this horns let's see don, don colton on saxophone he's been playing basically all his life and and Roderick brown on saxophone as well uh so and mr jp taylor on trumpet sometimes so you know we, we have an eclectic group different musical styles but that's how we make it work you know
0: now what was it what was it like the first time you brought the you brought the horns in and got that sound? I mean did, did you have a, a little bit of goosebumps something going up the spine when you heard the the, 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 the horns added the first time?
1: Yeah so uh, Nelson uh, the drummer he, he was like, man, well, I think we should add horns And so we had a trombone and a saxophone and they were jamming man and I turned around. And looked at Nelson and I said, This is jamming. And he was like, <laughs> Yeah. You know, so uh, it just kinda led from there. But yeah, definitely goosebumps, man. Especially like I think we played uh free and into the mystic and we kinda consolidated it. And um or or what do you call it, medley or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And um the horns were hitting apart and yeah, dude, you just get goosebumps. You're like, Yeah, this is dope.
0: <laughs> now d- tell us if, uh, Jeb, if folks want to, to find more information, I know you guys got a show coming up to the, uh, this weekend. Is it tonight?
1: Uh, yeah. So we play like a trio tonight at a brewery here in town. It's seminar brewery in Florence, South Carolina. Really good beer too, by the way. <laughs> um, and then next weekend we're at dead dog saloon in Murrell's inlet. That's right outside, like just South of Myrtle beach, about 20, 15 miles South of Myrtle beach. Um, and Dead Dogs a great place. I mean, they have a great, uh, great atmosphere. It's, it's on the like the where the ocean comes into the marsh. It's super super cool, chill vibe. Uh, but we normally have a pretty good crowd there. It's chill for only a little while. Then we start playing. <laughs> crumb. <laughs> that's now if but, uh,
0: the 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 socials uh, and website, all that stuff.
1: Yeah. So uh, it's Jeb Mac Band. And I tell everybody that's Jeb with two B's. J E B B M A C and then uh, add Jeb McBann on Instagram and Twitter, and then Jeb McBann on, on Facebook, too. So, yeah.
0: Uh-huh.
1: So, oh, I'm going to take as bad as I can to admit it, I have a TikTok
0: <laughs> Is that, Is that where you bust out the Bruno Mars, especially?
1: Well, on, on TikTok?
0: <laughs>
1: I haven't quite figured it all out yet. I'm still kind of a newbie. <laughs>
0: I, I'm the same with you. I'm, I'm the same with you. Well, Jeb, it's been great to get to know you a little bit today, man. I, I appreciate you reaching out and uh, and coming on today. Hopefully, uh, we'll catch up again real soon.
1: Cameron, I appreciate you having me, man. Thank you.
0: Thanks to our sponsor for today's episode, Smiley's Breezy Vapes, located at 313 Falcon Road in Altus. You can visit them online at Smiley'sBreezyVapes.com or on Facebook. They always have red basket specials going on. And if you ever have any questions, you can call or text at 580-471-VAPE. That's 580-471-8273. Well, the most hated band of all time is pretty hard to quantify. I mean, ask 100 people who their most hated band is and, you know, 99 of them are going to say Nickelback. But if you ask them to name their top 10, you'd get a wide variety of results. Well, one website used science and math to determine the most hated bands of all time. They created an algorithm based on things like most hated lists, message boards, and articles, and they came up with the top or bottom 21, And yes, Nickelback scored the number one spot, followed by number two, Limp Bizkit, number three, Creed, number four, U2, number five, Mumford & Sons, number six, Bob Dylan, number seven, Fish, number eight, Radiohead, number nine, Kiss, number ten, the Dave Matthews Band. Number eleven was Coldplay, followed by Green Day at twelve, The Doors at thirteen, Metallica at fourteen, number fifteen, Corn. Oasis at number 16, number 17, Pearl Jam, then Rush at 18. Number 19 was Nirvana, number 20, Spin Doctors, and number 21, Lincoln Park. And to that I say, really dodged a bullet this time, Smash Mouth. Well, anyway, for more information, you can visit the website bestofitonline.com. And uh, did they miss it? Did they get it right? Leave some comments. Let us know who should be on that list. Well, our next guest is Olympic swimmering legend, Mark Spitz. We'll be talking about the Holocaust Education Film Institute. First off, thanks, Mark, for taking the time to be on the show.
4: Well, thank you for having me on.
0: Now, obviously, uh, the, the, the swimming has allowed you some opportunities to, to be involved with some great causes, uh, and I love what we're going to talk about this morning, the the Holocaust Education Film Foundation. And uh, how, Mark, how did you first get involved with uh, with the foundation?
4: You know, a good friend of mine who is a filmmaker, we have been knowing each other for probably, what, 35 years, said, you know, I'm sort of passionate about the Holocaust. We should be telling these stories uh, because they're not around uh, very many of them to tell their stories as time moves on. They're in their 80s and 90s. We should do some films together. And so we kind of came up with this idea of an education, the Holocaust Education Film Foundation. That's how the name sort of came about. And the whole idea is aimed at preserving the stories of the Holocaust survivors through film, interactive education films where people can watch these films and educators can download these films and, and look at these films rather than just being a soundbite that's two minutes that says, oh, well, six million people basically got killed in the Holocaust and they move on to something else. Because we don't want anything like history to repeat itself and have this happen. And even today, there are people that are being persecuted and exterminated because of the will of dictators and, and political movements. And so I found that I was impassioned about this because if you think about it, I was in the Olympic Games where, after I competed swimming and finished my program, the next morning, early into the morning, terrorists came into the village and captured 11 Israeli athletes and killed them. In one sense, this was sort of a small little version of that. And so every time I, for the last 40 some odd years, talk about my Olympic performance, it's always brought up about, well, it was involved with 11 Israeli athletes that got killed. And I'm going, you know, I was impassioned when my friend said, let's do something on the Holocaust, and it just seemed to be a natural fit, that I would try to raise money so that we could do these films so that people and kids that come into the future will learn about things that happened and and refute the naysayers that say it never did happen
0: yeah that was that was my next question it was was about the naysayers. How important it is for you to be able to be uh, accurate and uh, true to true to what the time really was and and how important is it for you to get the the correct information out there?
4: I think it's very important and if you you know even go to our website and look at the small little uh, film snips that we have. I mean, we've got one, there was a guy that was a, a famous uh, guy that was on TV, on Hogan's Heroes, named Robert Clary, we yeah. told his story. Um, and, and yet, ironically, he was a concentration camp survivor. He played the part of a POW survivor in World War II, which, of course, I'm not taking away that POW camps weren't horrific in them themselves, but they, they weren't exterminating people in the same fashion that they were in concentration camps. Listening to his story is pretty remarkable. As a matter of fact, it's not only his story. It's any story that we can capture is pretty remarkable because these are people that were living through horrific situations and watching the separation of themselves from their families, not knowing what was taking place, but then understanding only when it was too late that their lives were doomed. I mean, think of Anne Frank, who's a famous person that basically tells a story of uh, you know being captured but being hidden before she was captured. I mean, it, it's it's like. That story, storytelling is very powerful, and it's a, it's a book that, that resonates with people even today. But we don't have films that resonate with people today, and that's what we're trying to do, tell their stories before it's too late. and There won't be any more stories to be told because there won't be anyone around to tell the stories. Right.
0: And with the information, the and the the age that we live in, obviously video is uh, is huge, especially for the youngsters to be able to to maybe put a, a little visual with the stories that they heard, and keeping the keeping the the, the video and uh, making it available for for so many people. This also, like you said, keeps history intact.
4: Well, it does. I mean, you 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 tell these stories over and over, uh, you learn about it. I mean, look at. Every anniversary of John F. Kennedy's assassination, we get a, uh, a drilling uh, of, of what took place and, and, it's, and I'd never get tired of watching it because it was so sad and, and so real. And storytelling is a form of that, that, that if you tell stories of true things that happen and they're done in a very elegant and a dignified way, they have a tremendous impact in a positive way, not a negative way. That things like this just don't happen again.
0: And uh, what do you, what do you attribute that to the the? I, I mean, obviously, uh, th- th- there were so many wrongs that were being done. But but how do we keep from from allowing ourselves or allowing others to to get to that point of of the Holocaust that we had before?
4: You know, if if we all had the correct answers and knew <laughs> beforehand. I have a tremendous important job, and it probably wouldn't be you know, doing what I'm doing. Maybe, maybe, maybe I should be you know, running a country or something <laughs> like that if I, if I could foresee the future, you know what I'm saying? Um, I just think that we learn, um, and, and the, the, you know, education is a very powerful tool. The more information that we have, the more evaluated opinion we can actually structure of how we want to live our lives and when you're ignorant to the facts of things that can happen in a negative way down a path that you're not familiar with then that's how things happen like i think the holocaust did
0: now mark if, if folks want more information would like to check out uh, some of the some of the vignettes that you guys have put together where can they find out more information
4: directly on our site it's it's a it's a mouthful but it's simple holocaust education filmfoundation.com
0: all right. Well, well, Mark, it has been great to visit with you this morning. I, 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 hats off for the work that you're doing. And uh, this is one of those things that a couple of years ago, whenever the, the naysayers were out there, I, I was hoping somebody would step up. I appreciate the the stand that you're doing moving forward.
4: Well, thank you for having me on and being able to talk about this.
0: Thanks again to our sponsor, Smiley's Breezy Vapes. 313 Falcon Road here in Altus. Got red back skit specials going on, new hardware, and the largest selection of disposable flavors in Southwest Oklahoma. They still do ask for you to cover your nose and mouth with your mask when you come in. They do have the protective plexiglass, and they have got the whole place all spruced up for you. Stop in and see them. 313 Falcon Road, Smiley's Breezy Vapes. Well, Skittles is rolling out a new product right now called Impossible Egg Hunt Skittles. They're fun-sized packages that are printed with camouflage, so they'll be trickier for kids to find during Easter hunts. Now, the packages have five designs. Grass, tree bark, asphalt, kitchen tile, and snow. Now, the other side of the package has regular Skittles branding, so you've got to make sure to hide those camouflage side up. And you should be able to find those in stores right now. Well, our final guest is a good friend in the industry, Bill Cody, he's the host of Coffee Country and Cody on WSM radio, also the host of the Grand Ole Opry. Excited to have a chance to share one I consider, my my friend, uh, none other than Bill Cody. And Bill, thank you so much for taking the time. I know your schedule's a little crazy this week, but but it's a great week here in Nashville. The beauty for me is this week is
2: really no different than any other week. <laughs> <laughs> I get a front row seat, get the best seat in the house to the greatest country music show in country music history mm-hmm. on the most famous set of call letters at radio station in, in country music history at WSM and the Grand Ole mm-hmm. Opry. And that's where we sit. As we visit and it's nice to have you here. You've been in studio before as a studio guest and we first met at the Opry. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I appreciate the opportunity to visit with you. But yeah, I am in a uh, really sweet spot here. There's not a day that goes by that I take it for granted. I'm always so thankful to God above that my dreams came true, not unlike these artists that you will meet this week, particularly those who are trying to make it or have had their first hit or getting a little traction finally, maybe finish their first album after a successful first single. For me, the dream was to do exactly what I'm doing. A buddy of mine told me once, he said, you know, Billy Boy, not too many people actually have their dreams come true. If you really sit down and you think about it, we all have dreams, but To have them, at least as it relates to your career, come true is a rare thing. And I really never, hearing it from him, I really never thought about it. Maybe it just didn't hit home quite as much. And when he said it, it was even more profound
0: because that's what's happened. Right, and you talk about the Grand Ole Opry and being a part of that, and uh, that's your CMA Fest every week, uh, if the people at home aren't aren't catching on that. But when you stepped on the stage for the Grand Ole Opry the first time, what was that feeling like for you? It was just, you know, coming to
2: WSM and sitting in this studio where we are and saying the call letters the Mm -hmm. first time. Charlie Daniels had been a friend for a number of years before I got to town, and they asked me, April the 25th, 1994, I just celebrated my 25th anniversary. They asked me who I wanted to have in studio, and I said, Charlie Daniels. And so we were able to make that happen. But saying the call letters in here the first time, it was like, Mm -hmm. can you even hear me say them over my heart (laughs) pounding out of my (laughs) chest with just sheer joy and excitement and it was very much that same way at the Opry except with the Opry there's more build up you know you come through the security guard and your name's on the list (laughs) and they check you off and they tell you they assign you a spot you know you're going to be in 55 and it's like oh I got 55 (laughs) which is near the artist entrance which Mm -hmm. has got the big alcove the overhang there it's covered you know and so you're walking up the artist entrance and there's Miss Minnie's little fountain mm-hmm. that she gave to the Opry and there, that cobblestone walkway with the old logo that had the mandolin on it. Yeah, you remember that? That. Mm-hmm. that was one of the uh, logos that we've used over the years. And, and then you walk in and there's a picture of Roy Cuff and Minnie Pearl and mm-hmm. it's spotlighted and there are the mailboxes and there's the security check-in point. And it just it, every step you take, this excitement is building mm-hmm. and for for those who go back far enough to remember the Porter Wagoner show on television, originally for me, it was in black and white and then later in color. But Porter, all you would see were his boots and his lower leg and his boots walking down the hallway. And then the door opens to the studio and he walks in and the -hmm. show would begin. That was his open. It kind of feels like that (laughs) was to me as a kid watching him on television. And then, when we got when it actually they started doing color episodes they were patent leather red and of course then you could see you know suits that he wore those great rhinestone suits that Manuel designed for Mm him they just popped so you walk in there and the place I have never been in an auditorium where being backstage was so different from being in the audience in most places it's almost the other way around if you're in the audience and you come backstage it's like oh boy <laughs> I thought it would be more glamorous back here mm-hmm. right because everybody wants what what's the number one request you get once you get people tickets stuff backstage oh, I would love to go backstage I would <laughs> love to go backstage famously Merle Kilgore who managed Hank Williams jr. Mm-hmm. for most of his career and Merle was a great singer and writer and artist in ring of fire with June Carter among the most famous things Merle was asked so often for backstage passes to Hank Williams, Jr., that at his funeral at the Ryman, and his memorial, you had to have a backstage laminate <laughs> to get into the funeral. It was an inside thing, mm-hmm. but that's what... And you come backstage and it's like, oh, well, it's not even painted back here. It's just concrete blocks and mortar. Mm-hmm. At the Opry, when you're backstage, the view back there you know, we've got the green room and now the dressing rooms since the flood in 2010 mm-hmm. all have themes and names and and it's so colorful and bright and welcoming. And then there's a green room with coffee and lemonade and tea and and, and Opry popcorn. Yes. And, uh, then you make your way out. This is if you're coming in from backstage. So, you know, the night I, I back to your question, I'm rambling, but <laughs> when you when you finally make it into the, Immediate backstage area to where the performance is on stage and the historic circle. You are just almost levitated, would be the word. I that's how I felt when that curtain went up. The rush of energy and it's so steep. Mm-hmm. When you're on the stage and you're looking it's, up and you've been back mm-hmm. there, you look up and it is really steep at the yes. top up there. Yes. And when these artists come out, like earlier this week, as we sit here, uh, Carrie Underwood Mm -hmm. was on that night. And I mean, I'm leaving out a ton of people, but uh, Bill Anderson opened the show and Josh Turner was there that night. Travis Tritt came Mm -hmm. in that night. Carrie Underwood is there, but there's a rush of energy that just really swoops down onto that (laughs) stage. And when that curtain goes up, keep in mind as an Opry announcer and personality, As the host, you're the first face and the first voice that the spotlight hits, right? And you can feel it. And I just literally was probably up on my tiptoes if somebody had a picture (laughs) at that moment in time, because I was so, so excited. But being backstage and looking up at that and you go out front and you sit in your seat and you look at the stage, it's like you're in two different universes Mm
0: -hmm. where it's not like that. Too many other places I can think of or that I've hosted or been. That's right. Now, you, you talk about uh, some of the history and you talked about the flood. What was, what was the, 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 the reconstruction and all that, that uh, along with the flood, and what was that like to see everybody coming together? With- well, you know, we were, where you sit
2: right now was the only part of the Opryland complex that did not take on water. This studio was never wet. Wow. It is the highest point of the hotel. Mm-hmm. It kind of sits up on an island of sorts and you noticed that if you drove in you okay. you come uphill and the water went around and of course just down the hallway from where we are where the, the delta and the cascades the lobbies are located uh, when you looked off it looked like the Titanic it was wow. completely engulfed in water m- several feet of water you mm-hmm. know millions upon millions of gallons of water and and, and it was full of Every wretched thing you can think of when you get into a flood like that, it was just putrid In hazmat guys are walking around in here. And I didn't come in on that Monday. The flood occurred over the weekend mm-hmm. is when it began. Um so the, by the time all this had happened, they had made a makeshift home for us at the WSM Tower, which is in Brentwood, mm-hmm. which had never been. A lot of people, a lot of artists even thought they came there to audition because it looked inside very similar to the old National Life offices mm-hmm. downtown in mm-hmm. 7th and Union, which are no more. There's a plaque there right across from the Hermitage Hotel. It's where right. TPAC is now. but. What it did, uh, particularly for the Opry, because, uh, you you know, you take a backstage tour. And I I would really, truly encourage your listeners, if they are coming to the Opry, in addition to getting a ticket and seeing the Country Music Hall Mm -hmm. of Fame and trying to take a tour of the Rhyme, take a tour of the Opry House. Because your, your visit really isn't complete until you've done those things. You know, you come to the Opry, take a backstage tour of the Opry House, catch a tour bus, go to the Ryman, take that tour. Mm -hmm. If you can catch a show, if it works out while you're in town, do that. Go to the Hall of Fame and plan a couple of days at the Hall of Fame. And WSM's featured prominently there. But how in the world did you take a stage show, this 90, soon to be 94 years old, this October, October 5th, will be 94 years old. Where do you find the time to renovate the building when you've got, starting this week, we will do... And this doesn't include private shows that we do for right. corporations from time to time. But this week alone, two shows on Tuesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. We're off on Sunday. And sometimes there's somebody in that building on Sunday. Mm-hmm. We're doing something private. Next week, Monday's a private show. Tuesday, Wednesday, Opry shows. Thursday, we go to Bonnaroo. Mm-hmm. This is just opera shows <laughs> we're talking about. Where do you find time to renovate? Mm-hmm. Well, now we know. 100-year flood. when you're displaced and you have to go somewhere Mm -hmm. else which we went to War Memorial never missed a show went to War Memorial did the show there uh, and uh, goodness after that uh, where did we go Um, we were in a variety of different places during the course of of that four or five months Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah that just seems ridiculously distant mm-hmm. yet like yesterday at the same time and what's it been nine years now yeah. but that's that's what happened it gave them a chance to really start over as like if we were redoing everything except in the shell you know the outside remained right. the same it's a very unique architectural design to the right. opry house if you've ever seen a picture of it or ever visited national been there um yeah it um It just gave us an opportunity. I think the best quote I heard was Trace Adkins, who said, uh, who's full of great quotes on (laughs) on any given night. He told Dan Rogers, our marketing guy the other night, who was the manager on duty. It was the Memorial Day show. He told Dan if he ever made him follow Lee Greenwood and God bless the USA again, they would settle it in the parking lot. I will kill you if you ever make me do this again. But Trace said of the Aubrey, he said, It kind of reminded you of a high school cafeteria back here, which if you were there pre-flood, that's a perfect description Mm -hmm. because he had the old metal lockers he all had in school. A lot of times Mm -hmm. they were in the cafeteria or around the walls of the cafeteria. And um, that was just even down to the color and um, that greenish color that you see all over the world, you know, in high schools and junior high schools. And it just gave us a chance to to revitalize and and reinvent ourselves in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. I think this city and certainly the Opry after the flood this it factor that's kicked in, this everybody who comes and then they wanna go back home and get their stuff and move here from New York and Los Angeles and Chicago and Philadelphia and anywhere else in the country. But these market areas that at one time would have said, oh, I don't wanna to go to Nashville, mm-hmm. you know, hillbilly music, that's not, That's not. I'm not a country fan. And now they can't wait to get here. Yeah. And it all started, that was, a, that was a critical moment in the history of Nashville, musically, entertainment in general, the revitalization of downtown—everything that you see—that's that's happened in the last few years—came after that flood. No, wow. mm. that's
0: just a that's just a a, a tidbit. Yeah. Of, uh, now, of I don't wish you a flood. No, no, no for no. revitalization. <laughs> but
2: I uh, I have seen it with my own eyes. And somebody has been here uh, for many years before the flood. You know, again, I came 25
0: years ago in 1994. Mm. Well, that's awesome. Well, Bill, I, I know your schedule's packed, our schedule's packed, but uh, I wanted to get a few minutes with you, and uh, I can't say thank you enough for your time and, and the friendship that we've been able to build over the last couple of years.
2: Yeah, Cameron, thank you. Uh, you're so engaging, and the fact that you care shows uh, in your eyes and in your face and in your conversations, whether it's with me or other stars that you've had in this week. And, uh I wish you nothing but the best and please stay in touch and
0: come see me when you can. I will. Bill, always good to see you, my friend. Thank you. Well, thanks again for joining me for this episode of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. If you ever have a comment, question, or anything else you'd like to know, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at GQ with Cam. If you'd like to help out in the funding for the podcast, feel free to click the support tab and follow the instructions. If you've got a special guest idea, you can email me, gqwithcam at gmail.com. Again, thanks to our good friend, Brandon Allen, for coming up with the theme for Good Questions with Cameron Dole. We're going to let him play us out, and we'll be back with episode 27 of season two coming up on Monday.